0: Welcome to the Synapse Nips podcast, where we explore the power of health and healing. On this podcast, we will be talking with health experts, professionals, and leaders about hot topics in the world of health. Whether it's tools to help you flourish, successful stories to inspire, or tips to optimize your health, Synapse Nips is here to help you take the first steps towards living your best life.
1: Good day. Welcome, everyone. It's Dr. Troy coming uh, from Synapse here with uh, Dr. Josh and Marquis. Today, we're going to be talking about something uh, very important for health and well-being, especially for key individuals. Uh, Today, we're talking about low libido and erectile dysfunction. So we get this this topic come up quite a bit. And so uh, most of this is going to be geared towards men, but there's going to be some crossover with women as well when we get to low libido. We could probably do a whole weekend seminar on this, uh, so we're just going to touch on some of the high points,
2: and we'll we'll go from there. Yep. So, I think, well, I think one thing that's worth mentioning, men, if you're listening to this, um, you're not alone in having issues, and it's worth talking about it. Yes. Men don't like to come in and talk about this issue. No. And it's serious because if, we, if we're talking erectile dysfunction. Honestly, that issue is a sign of deeper problems. And so if you've got that going on, regardless of your age, because we've seen that for whether you're elderly or 25 years old, this can happen. And having this issue, this is really what, we're, what we'll talk about, are all the different signs and different causes of, of why this can happen.
1: Yeah, we're starting to see it younger and younger. And so that's uh, another good indicator that the underlying... Uh, problems are, are there. They're happening a lot sooner. And so, it, and you know, I'll just say this. It is a lot easier to treat the, the sooner you get involved with this. And so there's going to be a lot of other factors that, that go in with that. So, so let's just talk about, uh, first of all, let's start a little bit with the, um, ED, uh, the erectile dysfunction and what are some of the main things that are underlying
2: that are going on um, where ED is the cause. Yeah. I think the important thing to remember is that an erection is caused by a change in blood flow. That's really the big point is blood flow changes. And if you can't control blood flow changes, you're not going to get an erection. And so cardiovascular health and everything relating to blood vessels and heart are really probably the first place to look. Uh, If you've got an erectile dysfunction issue. So cardiovascular disease, whether it's high blood pressure, that's a big, that's a big uh, trigger for this problem. High blood pressure, cholesterol issues, blood sugar problems, all can boil down to an issue with blood flow instability.
1: Yeah. And I think if you have just early warning signs of uh, ED, then generally speaking, for me, it's one of three scenarios that is underlying that has to be looked at. We're either dealing with stress, cardiovascular disease compromise, or some level of anatomic problem, whether it be prostate or low back or something that's directly affecting the nerves to the blood vessels uh, for that area. So generally speaking, that's something's going on there, and that needs to be investigated. Uh, before we dive into those three categories, I also want to say this. It is, especially in the last couple of years with COVID and lockdowns and everything, I've had patients, uh, male and female, come in that uh, don't necessarily have a spouse, a partner, or anything like that that just lost human touch for two years. And I want people to really recognize the health benefits of human touch, uh, whether it be as simple as a hug, or or. or just being present with someone and, and even having laughter to intimacy that we're talking about here with uh, your significant other, there is a healing component to that touch and to that contact. So it's very, very important for us to recognize that this goes well beyond, uh, ed and even, um, uh, the, the sexual part of it. There is a healing that occurs when you have, uh, Intimacy, mentally, chemically, and physical uh, intimacy, and there's a lot that goes with that. So it is a part of a very good, healthy relationship. Um, but also, it's an, it's indicative of a challenge internally when that's not working.
2: Yep. <clears throat> Let's talk more about the cardiovascular as the as the first topic then. So um, we mentioned a few things already, but when a person comes in and they're assessing cardiovascular disease that's a big topic in and of itself so yeah. i don't think we'll get into every detail that's that's worth another podcast um, but these are typically lifestyle issues yes. cardiovascular disease is not something that pops up overnight it's something that you're eating poorly or not exercising or having some metabolic disturbance for years or decades in order to set this up but luckily this is reversible for the same in the same way lifestyle and diet changes um, and even supplementing for the improved blood flow really can make a big difference quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times, see, this one is tricky because um, when we are looking at trying to see if there's any type of genetics involved, mm-hmm. you, you rarely go up to your father or grandfather and say, do you have ED? <laughs> you know, and it's not like something that they freely will uh, admit, but if you, if you have, I'm going to say it this way, if you have any family history of dementia, of cardiovascular disease, heart disease, stroke, uh, if there's a family history of that, you are more predisposed to things like this. So it's, it's good. You can ask those questions or at least get those answers as far as uh, some family history.
2: And that tells you a little bit about genetic predisposition as well. Yep. Let's see. Along with this then um, kind of toes the line between the next part is inflammation, cardiovascular disease is not just clogged blood vessels. It's also inflammation caused by blood sugar problems or other sources of inflammation. Inflammation then even beyond just the effects from a cardiovascular system are going to affect erectile function too.
1: Yeah. And and that, uh, with the, the cardiovascular component, anything that's inflammatory can cause the blood vessels to constrict, get a little harder, less flexible and, um, can uh, kind of congest the system as well. We see this uh, quite a bit with people with poor diet. So uh, basically we've had people or men, I guess who have gone through our cardiometabolic program and to clean up the heart stuff. And then that's just a a benefit that they didn't come in or didn't share with us that they've
2: expressed afterwards that things are just better down there. Yep, exactly. Another thing now that we'll kind of transition into talking about hormones a bit, but I think every, every guy knows about testosterone. Every guy's worried about their testosterone level going down. I think we'll talk more about testosterone here more, but the, the line between this and bo- and inflammation is body fat, I think, in a lot of ways. Body fat is a guy's worst nightmare when it comes to hormones because if you have excess body fat, you're going to take that testosterone and change it into estrogen. And, you know, that's not exactly what's good for guys having too much estrogen. And
1: no, it tends comes. not to do, do well for us. So <laughs> yeah. for, I will say for men, I've said this in the past, uh, too much estrogen tends to lead to gallbladder dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that with guys is the gallbladder dysfunction. And then when it comes to the testosterone, and this is the biggest thing, the biggest misnomer is that a lot of men and women think that testosterone declines with age. It doesn't. There is no decline with age when it comes at how you make testosterone. The problem is the other things that downregulate, inhibit testosterone start to increase. The number one culprit is cortisol. Cortisol will decrease testosterone levels, but even more so, it makes it testosterone more resistant. So just like insulin resistance, you could have normal amounts of insulin on blood work, but if it's resistant, it's not doing its job as efficiently. And if your cortisol is too high from inflammation or from stress or internal stressors, then you start to see uh, a downregulation of the testosterone or testosterone resistance so that it doesn't become as effective. And a lot of things will increase cortisol. And then it starts to go hand in hand. One of the things we see with cardiovascular disease are sleep disorders like sleep apnea. And hidden sleep disorders will cause increase in cortisol, which will then Inhibit one's ability to use testosterone, and then you start to see these other uh, dysfunctions that start to occur. So, lifestyle management and a lot of lifestyle changes really can influence the cortisol, which influences the the use of
2: testosterone. Yeah, the sleep apnea is going to cause high blood pressure too, very often, which right. is another direct blood flow issue here. Let's talk. Well, go ahead. Yeah, this is one of my other.
1: This is kind of one of my uh, contentions because. The way our, our traditional medical model works is, you get high blood pressure, and you go in, you get blood pressure medication, and so they're they're correcting one problem, but the root cause is still not being addressed. What triggered the high blood pressure? If you can identify that and work on that, then you've got the home run of reducing the blood pressure and still reducing some of the underlying things that might be causing an increase in cortisol. Because you can manage your blood pressure with. Uh, with uh, blood pressure medications, but then what do they do when they give you something for ED? I've actually had patients on numerous blood pressure medications and Viagra. And so there's they, they basically uh, can uh, work against each other and or not be managed properly and cause significant problems uh, because of that. And, so, and a lot of patients aren't aware that uh, you're kind of playing with some dangerous
2: territory there when you start mixing and matching those yeah. things. Well, Viagra was originally a blood pressure medication. Yeah. I believe that's, yeah. that's how it was discovered. <clears throat> I think we should talk quick about testosterone testing, because that's one of the things that I think in the traditional medical model things get missed because yes. the no, the quote unquote normal range of testosterone is extremely wide depending on the lab. Yeah, and it's lab. It's 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 wide with every lab, and some are worse than others. Generally, I'll see normal, quote unquote, be normal being somewhere between 300 and 1,000 or 1,200, and so that range is trying to catch pretty much every guy between puberty and yeah. end of life, all within one, one big swath of uh, on a test. And obviously, a guy in their 20s is going to have a bit of a different testosterone experience yeah. than a guy in their 70s. Should, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But when we do testosterone testing, I'll have guys that bring their testosterone testing in and they said, oh, yeah, well, my doctor said it was normal. And it's barely normal, right? Yeah. It's like 350 right on the edge of being normal. And they say, well, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. It's like, well, but walking around with a testosterone at 350 is going to make you feel a lot different than if it was at 700. Yeah. And one of the things, um, like we said, things like cortisol can make the, the
1: testosterone more resistant to being used also – Generally speaking, this is a very very general statement, but people who are acidic, their hormones in general work at 50% efficiency. That includes thyroid hormones. That includes testosterone. So if your body is acidic, which as we age, we tend to become more acidic or we don't clear the acids as well, especially if the kidneys start to become compromised at all, that acid builds up and then the hormones we have become less effective. And so our body's pH and our body's acid burden really paint a, a pretty significant uh, picture of one other thing that can really uh, decrease the hormone. So even though, like when you're 20, you clear your inflammatory uh, components and your acids pretty effectively, as when you're 60, you've now had uh, six decades of uh Stress or maybe getting an infection here and there and then put on antibiotics, which led to an underlying fungal infection, which re- increases your acid burden quite a bit. And those things add up over time. And those are the things that start to decrease our hormones effectiveness. And this is why uh, we see the problems with aging as it relates to testosterone, ED and uh, any type of sexual function and desire versus in inner 20s. It really has more to do with your acid burden. Now, there are things that will downright regulate the production of testosterone, but uh, to your point, you can have a normal testosterone, low normal, and then have multiple factors that cause it to be less efficient, which means it's having a net effect of a tanked testosterone level.
2: Yeah, and you don't want to have that over the course of your life because that's going to impact that's a two-way streak between this and cardiovascular disease yeah. and, and mental health, or well, mental health and cognitive health, right? Really, if you've got low testosterone for 40 years, that's going to catch up with you.
1: Yes. And the, the same genetics that contribute to the cardiovascular disease, the ApoE3, ApoE4 scenario also uh, relay quite a bit to the uh, dementia and brain component. And one of the causes of dementia uh, per Dr. Dale Bredesen's book, uh, The End of Alzheimer's, is atrophic change, which means a, a significant change in hormones. Yep.
2: There's also a vascular change component with that, too. Is, I mean, it, we tie in so many pieces here from inflammation to blood flow to hormones, and that's a recipe for cognitive decline, too. Yeah. One of the things I'm really uh, excited about right now is
1: uh, here at Synapse, we have this test called the endopat. And in the state of Minnesota, there's, uh, only two other places, facilities that have the endopath. That's, uh, uh, Mayo Clinics and the U of M. And I believe that's still, still true. It was when we had, we got our system. Uh, when we were working with them, they were pretty excited to work with us because we were the only clinic that they knew of in the world that was using natural therapeutics to make changes with the endopath. So they're really interested in our data, um, as we move forward. And we've seen some pretty significant changes. With endopat score, I just had a, a patient who um, has gone through a program and endopat measures arterial stiffness, the endothelial lining, as well as whether or not you're in a fight or flight state uh, versus rest and digest, which we're going to talk a little bit as it relates to libido and, uh, and ED. But just by uh, working on diet and lifestyle, um, we improved his ability to uh, in, uh, increase his vascularization or his blood flow and uh, also the health of the blood vessels uh, for him. One of our tests that uh, we had that improved drastically was a memory test. It's not why he came in, but uh, he scored much, much better, actually normal range in memory. Whereas pre program, he was pre cognitive yeah. challenge. He had,
2: he had a mild cognitive impairment already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, you have a few, we have a few other things from a hormone perspective. Let's tie that up here real quick. Um, I think your point where the utilization of hormones based on pH is important, but a lot of people are also walking around with low thyroid hormone, for instance. And yeah. that, that's common. We tend to think of that more common in, in females, and I believe it is, but we see it a lot in men as well, and they don't know about it, mostly because, again, men don't get, go in and get checked for this stuff. But having low thyroid hormone, because of the way that it's impacting the metabolism of the rest of your body and hormone production can be the, the cause of the low testosterone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thyroid is, is is very, very key for all of your body's metabolism and function, all the uh, metabolism of every cell. So we want to make sure that the thyroid numbers are accurate to, to help with the, any type of the sexual dysfunction. And also certain things for men and women that can throw thyroid off our estrogen dominance or too much exposure to estrogens, whether it be environmental estrogens, which we see with a lot of pesticides and chemicals uh, or in uh, endogenous estrogens that we make ourselves. So we do see um, a pretty uh, significant change in all types of function when the thyroid's not working. But uh, end stage dysfunction, I do see it a little later with thyroid disorders with men as far as ED. Um, there's a, there has to be other components, but when you, when you combine a, an inflammatory lifestyle with blood sugar and insulin dysregulation, um, with some thyroid dysfunction, it's not
2: going to end well unless that gets addressed. No. Anything else you want to say about hormones before we talk about the brain?
1: Well, the, one of the big ones is, um, is DHEAS. So the, the DHEA, basically stress in the uh, initial stages, that hormone will increase. And that will rob, potentially rob a conversion of DHA into testosterone. And uh, it'll be shunting it towards cortisol. They used to call it cortisol steel. Right now they say that's not as much of a thing. That's a whole other talk as far as the cortisol steel. But we, we do know that not only does cortisol cause like a, a desensitization of testosterone, it also tends to pull a lot of the DHEA away
2: from uh, uh, testosterone uh, to be used. So yeah. that's one of our favorite things to supplement. Then is DHEA because yeah. it's not a prescription, but yet it's a direct precursor to testosterone.
1: And one of the first things you start to see when you have a stress response causing DHEA issues before it even turns into a testosterone issue, before it turns into erectile dysfunction, is painful joints when you run. So a lot of my people who were doing exercise and were runners were actually they'd come in with uh joint pain from running, their knees would start to hurt. And so uh many of these people were also caffeinating or trying to use caffeine, which put a little more stress on their organs and the and the caffeine was actually triggering an increase in the DHEA. So we pull them off caffeine, uh manage other stressors in the body, and uh their joint and gave them DHEA and their joint aches would go away. But uh I used to do a lot of work with a running club, and uh, I we could tell um, who was having those problems. And the older runners, um, some of them didn't have any knee pain, never did their entire life. And their that scenario of DHEA to cortisol was being managed balance was being managed very well. And then um, testosterone, DHEA to testosterone, the same scenario was managed very well. And then we had people that were in their 30s that started getting joint pain right away. And they'd say, well, I just got bad knees. No, you've got an inflammatory reaction
2: in the knees because of these other problems. Yep. Right. Let's talk about the brain here. So ultimately the brain is going to be the trigger and the initiator of both libido and erectile function. And we've talked quite a bit about fight and flight versus kind of the rest and digest systems on a lot of podcasts because that, that whole system does a lot of, a lot of work for digestion. A lot of these um, kind of innate underlying responses that we have that we don't have to think about, that's the coordination is between those two. For an erection, for instance, you actually use both systems yeah. during that, and so the coordination between those two becomes very important.
1: Yeah, and so this is that's a very good point because if you're stuck in,
2: uh, in the system we're talking
1: about, it's the autonomic nervous system, mm-hmm. and there's a sympathetic dominance, a uh, parasympathetic dominance. If you're stuck in a sympathetic dominant state, or a parasympathetic dominant state the majority of time, then what also tends to happen is a sluggish transition time from from one to the other. And so it's it's important to be able to go from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And nothing really uh, really points to that better than sexual function because you use you use both uh, uh, consistently so some people it can take a little bit longer to to get things going to get things worked up and so that's a sign that you could be in sympathetic dominance and need more parasympathetic or or vice versa there's a scenario where people are in parasympathetic dominance and so um a lot of different things can happen the extreme version of which is priapism which uh, you can look that up go ahead and google that people (laughs) (laughs) and so uh the um, the scenario is such that you can uh, that it's important to be able to go back and forth, and we'll just touch a little bit again. We've mentioned this in the past quite a bit, but uh, if you're in fight or flight or sympathetic dominance, that's like when a tiger's chasing you. When a tiger's chasing you, it's an awful time to sit down and eat lunch, to take a nap, or to become intimate with your spouse. So those functions tend to be depressed, so that you can save your life by running away from the tiger. So you tend to not digest as well, sleep as well, or become intimate. I even have the desire for it. So again, getting out of fight or flight or that stress response is really
2: important. So there are, there are definitely a lot of things that can go into causing that fight or flight response too. That's well, interesting then how stress will play both a short-term and yeah. a long-term role. Because the stress response in the brain has fast output through this sympathetic fight and flight system. Yep. And the long-term consequences are what we already talked about with the cortisol and the hormone change. And so if you're chronically in stress, not only do you have the hormone change like we talked about, but even right then and there, the, the stress response in your brain is just neurologically not going to allow you to, to have an erection.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or sustain one too, because that is uh, mm-hmm. that is part of the um, uh, fatig- fatigability component. So There's definitely going to be a scenario where um, not only do you need that function working, but is the, the fuel supply there? Do you have the reserves there? And if you don't, that is again, a sign of chronic stress, which is the most common thing we see chronic stress. This is why chronic stress will uh, affect heart disease and um, will affect libido for men and women and affect erectile dysfunction in, in guys. And so, Managing the stress, and again, we're talking about mental, chemical, or physical stress because copper toxicity is actually the most common one, a little more common in, in women than men, um, but copper toxicity causes sympathetic dominance. Um, sleep disorders cause sympathetic dominance. Uh, food sensitivities, allergies, or uh, a food that causes an inflammatory reaction in the GI tract causes sympathetic dominance. So a lot of these things uh, can be uh, addressed, uh, found out and addressed, and managing the long-term stressors or many, many years ago, I wrote my book, 22 years ago now, um, I wrote my book. Uh, we call that life accumulation stress disorder as far as these accumulated small little stressors that add up to causing what we're really talking about right now. So what else influences uh, stress is a big part of the limbic part of the brain what else influences the limbic system
2: well inflammation you had mentioned i mean that's that's a big one inflammation is essentially just chemical signals that your body makes to alert the rest of the body that something's wrong and there's a very unfortunate situation that happens in part of your limbic system um, the, the mesencephalon or the midbrain where you have receptors there for inflammation Typically for a lot of hormone receptors, if you have too much of it, the receptors are actually going to it's it's like the resistance thing, right? They'll yeah. downregulate so that it can quiet down the signal. That type of inflammation though in that area is the opposite, where that your brain becomes hypersensitized to it, so that if you have chronic inflammation, you actually develop more of those receptors so you read the signal of inflammation more. Yeah. So chronic inflammation is going to cause a tendency for the limbic system to be oversensitized.
1: Yeah, which is important because that limbic system is what regulates your autonomic nervous system, yep. helps regulate the hormones, helps regulate your stress response. So then it becomes a a vicious cycle if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's there's there's a lot of consequences. One of them is like the cry wolf scenario. So another way of saying it for that part some part is uh, with like insulin resistance in other areas. Um it's the cry wolf scenario where part of your body could become less reactive because it's just heard the same story over and over and over again. And there's no changes. So that's a big part of it. Now, one of the things that can feed into the limbic system is my favorite area of the brain, the basal ganglia. Mm-hmm. And so just want to touch base on that a little bit because the basal ganglia essentially does a couple of things. It sets the tone for muscles and emotions. It sets the idle speed for anxiety and depression. So when you talk about low libido, there's, there's one way, this is not the only way, but this is one way to look at it. It can be a, like a depression, a depressed function. And with the basal ganglia in particular, when we get triggered, I'm going to use that word, uh, triggered stress wise. If there's an emotional distress that can shut down your muscles, it basically causes an, uh, uh, an apathy. Internally, you you physically have a hard time getting up off the couch because part of your brain is shutting down your muscles, and so we see that too with with sexual desire as it relates the uh, the limbic system where there is a net negative impact, and it's like a, a depression, and it can come from again mental, chemical, or physical triggering. It can come from your own thoughts as far as what you are. Uh, relaying to others is a reason why we're meant to guard our thoughts because uh, a lifetime of unguarded thoughts can lead to a, a high level of dysfunction, which then can lead to uh, the suppressed function as far as just physical activity uh, and even desire uh, for uh, intimacy. And this is, I'm going to say common, just as common in men as it is women, uh, women who express their emotions uh, are very expressive, tend to do better with this. So uh, if you really express things, I have patients who say that, oh, yeah, I feel bad because I, I yell at my husband all the time, but I feel better. <laughs> and I'm like, well, he keep doesn't. doing it and send him in. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on him. But, uh, but actually, it's healthy for us, maybe not in a violent way or, or a yelling way, but it's healthy, especially for women to talk about their issues. Now I'll say this. This is more of a lifestyle thing. I have to, to really, uh, counsel all my patients on, but men, if your wife are talking to you, just listen. Don't fix their problem. Men try to be fixers and they, cause we get good at it and it's the only thing we're good at. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so we want to try and fix it. Whereas women, Because the area of the brain is, is actually larger than in men's when it comes to dealing with emotions and their nurtures by nature, um, expressing it is very important. Now, if, if your spouse, if your husband's not a good listener or is trying to fix everything and he's working against himself in this, that's the importance of having a girlfriend that you can talk to, uh, or a a small group that where you can be freely talking about, um, what you're emotionally going through, I cannot tell you how much that influences the outcome when it comes to uh, sexual desire or low libido or even with guys, with guys expression, talking about your symptoms stuff is got a mild impact. But with guys, it's physical exercise. When guys hit the gym, that's the equivalent of women talking, talking it through. So I really want you to hear that because it's different for men and women. Women you don't necessarily have to get your guys talking um, uh, quite as much. Now, sometimes there's a lot of value with that, and there's a, there's a stress relief that comes with it, but it's not the same as you. Uh, I have historically run into men who try and change their wives so they're more like men, think logically, think like this, and women who try and change their husbands into thinking like women. We were meant to think differently. Think of it as a, we were meant to complement each other. We're yin and yang type of scenarios, not the same person. The more you try and change your spouse into being and thinking like you, the more problems you're going to have. But they still need to understand you. I hope that makes
2: sense. That's like yeah. a whole podcast on its own, I know. No, that's good, though. Because when we talk dopamine, and I think people should refer back to our podcast on some of the brain health that we did, because we talked a bit about, about dopamine, yeah. right? And dopamine is the thing that's used in the, in the basal ganglia as that... Dimmer switch type of activity, yep. and there are a lot of genetic and nutritional things that will impact that as well. One thing that I look at that's a similar thing, and this is more, women are more prone to this as well, is the brain sensation of being on a hamster wheel, right? Where you've got the thought that you can't get off of, yeah. and you're going around and around and around. Perseveration. Yeah, because sometimes when a woman is trying to talk through things, they get stuck on that wheel, and that's not good either because it can go too far in that direction. Yep. That usually means that the dopamine is not being controlled properly. Which we do. There's some genetics that deal with that, COM-T
1: genetics, and then also there's certain intestinal infections like clostridia infections that can really uh, put a cog in that wheel, so to speak.
2: And you mentioned copper. Copper is important there, yeah. too, as is iron. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and think about iron, and with women being more susceptible to anemia, uh, that can play a pretty significant role. So by paying attention to those small things as far as anemia... Not small things. Anemia is That's pretty big. big yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, iron status, uh, along with the, the mental status, it all goes together and you can start to see how one chemical interaction will lead to a physical or emotional interaction and, and then a lifetime of not necessarily managing it or dealing with it, it can add up. But it's really down to the basics that helps restore this function. Uh, you guys talked about inflammation and the cortisol and body fat. What is the ideal uh, percentage for body fat? It's a great question. Usually happy patients. So uh, if we're talking about myself, it's my whatever current level I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm going to talk as it relates to our BIA, um, Mm -hmm. which is different than what you might. If you go to a gym, they'll measure body fat with calipers. The BIA measures the body fat uh, and that includes all the fat, including the brain and, and things like that. So it is a little higher then uh, like a gym, you'll hear some athletes say, I've got 9% body fat. Well, for us, it's going to be quite a bit more than that because we're also measuring brain tissue. And if we get 9% and they're super lean and healthy, it means there's not much up top there. So, <laughs> so that's not good either. Um, so women's body fat will be higher uh, than men, and that's acceptable and normal. If you don't have a higher body fat, it can affect your hormones uh, more and so for me, it depends on age and it depends on level of activity. And so, uh, I generally like to see, um, uh, guys more in the teens and women, uh, below 26%, uh, even uh, low twenties would be great. Um, Josh, do you have different premise to that or?
2: Not necessarily. Well, I think the one thing that I see when, especially if the person is an athlete and they're used to the body fat, measurements yeah. that they usually get. They'll you know I've seen guys as low as four percent and women then sometimes if they're athletic will be below eighteen. Yeah. I think that cutoff there is for women in particular problematic because that's when you start to see dysregulation of menstrual yeah. function. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, women in particular, and I know you guys uh you women, sorry, I'll say it that way, uh really don't like hearing this, but fat is good for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's good for your healthy brain, good for good for your body. And so um, yeah, I just, the the numbers out there for guys, 15 to 18% and for women, 22 to, to 25% are generally pretty good as measured by BIA.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. And then, uh, also weight, it, weight depends. It depends if you carry muscle mass, fat mass, or lymph mass. So the biggest thing is if I see someone who is got, um, a, a, a high body mass index or percentage of fat, um, and is also toxic with lymph, that's not a good combination. And so we have to make sure that the liver is working properly. And one of the reasons why guys get away with detoxifying a little better is because of the muscle mass that they carry and the size of their blood vessels because of that um, increases in their ability to detoxify through the liver system. When the women's liver can't detoxify as well, then we see the backup in the lymph Eventually, your body is going to store that, that lymph or that toxic weight, we call it, in the best insulator in your body. The best insulator in your body is 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 fat. So that's why we want to make sure, too, that it's healthy fat on the body. Yeah. All right. So on the exercise part of it, um, let's talk a little bit more about exercise. Um, when it comes to the cardiovascular disease, when it comes to uh, low libido,
2: when it comes to the ED, what do you, what do you tend to see with exercise or how important is it in your mind? Yeah, I think, well, the, breaking it down in different types of exercise, I think is critical. I think a lot of people think, well, I got to go to a gym and jog for a half hour. And I think there's a lot of research now that suggests that that's not necessary no. or even desirable in a lot of situations. I think the, the, you mentioned muscle mass and a lot of, uh, a lot of times your muscle mass and building muscle mass is one can, can be difficult. Uh, two is really important because as we age, we tend to lose that. Yep. And, um, no, I, I heard a quote lately or recently that said, no 90 year old ever wishes they had less uh, muscle, right? Right. Everybody always wishes at that point they had more and doing resistance training and high intensity exercise. Those are the things that are going to be more likely to build muscle, but then also control and and contribute to the testosterone level. Well, I want to, I want everyone to really hear this. A lot of what you do uh, in the gym and the resistance training is
1: really important for guys in particular, um, in their forties, fifties and beyond. A, A lot of that though comes from when you're 20 and when you're 30 so the more muscle mass you can put on earlier in life, the better it is later and and the easier. You can lose it very quickly and one and one illness can really take it down, but that's part of your reserves, that's part of your resilience. So my biggest concern right now is just um the health of teenagers and the lack of muscle mass. We we're seeing more and more teenagers coming in uh boys coming in with estrogen dominance with uh, a, pro- a process called gynecomastia where they're actually developing um breast tissue uh things uh, of that nature and their muscle mass is really really low that becomes very very problematic and so um especially later on uh in in years 2 there's going to be a lot of issues uh with uh detoxification and other problems all right, uh, insulin and blood sugar. I just want to touch on that uh, as well. Um, cortisol, when it inhibits the testosterone, also has uh, an inhibitory component with insulin. And so we can see insulin resistance, which exercise helps with insulin resistance. Um, spe- specifically uh, weights and uh, and some training resistance training there. But blood sugar management, and we know stress also affects that quite a bit. So diet plays into that quite a bit, Uh, deep sleep again. And so as you go through the process here to fix any type of ED, it won't happen without your insulin and blood sugar becoming more balanced. They just go hand in hand.
2: Insulin, it's nice because insulin is probably the easiest out of these hormones to control because it's directly tied to diet. On the extreme end, if you're doing something like a ketogenic diet, you're hardly going to make any insulin at all. And that's often a good strategy for people who are uh, have well, hyperinsulinemia, so high levels of insulin. And we see that quite often where we see too high of insulin. Um, exercise, going back to that, exercise is the one way where you can control blood sugar without insulin. Usually, insulin is what allows you to put blood sugar into your cells to use it for energy, but exercise bypasses that mechanism. Yeah. We just talked about this the other day yeah. with a patient where we're trying to get that uh, insulin down, and one of our strategies is short-duration but higher intensity exercise in order to promote that. That doesn't tank the person. That doesn't tank the person. Insulin resistance always starts in the muscle before it happens elsewhere in the body. Yes. And so if you can be active from an exercise perspective, especially like we talked about with resistance training, that will protect you in the long term from insulin resistance. Yeah. And one other thing I'm going to say, because we haven't brought it up, is uh, uh,
1: just the component of our anti-inflammatory omega-3 system. Because... Um, the conversion of linoleic acid to EPA, DHA, or the omega-3s, there's an anti-inflammatory component there, and that helps with the inflammation part of it. But the cofactors needed for that are magnesium and a lot of B vitamins. And so you need uh, proper stomach acid to absorb those, and you need a good gut to uh, to balance that. So part of your anti-inflammatory mechanism, which we know omega-3s are great for anti-inflammatories, uh, they are great for cardiovascular health. Um, they're also very significant and oftentimes needed for erectile dysfunction um, and just reducing um, inflammation to help with uh, libido uh, as well. So that mechanism gets missed quite a bit because there's a lot of things that occur internally that can downregulate your ability to convert uh, the anti-inflammatory part uh, quite well. And there's something within there. Um, zinc is also very important. And so uh, when we look at um, later in life, one of the things that we're going to finish off on here, I want to talk a little bit about nitric oxide and prostate health, but I want you guys to see that the common denominators here for prostate health, we see one of the main things that can cause problems with prostate is zinc deficiency which we start to see with low stomach acid as we age. If you're in fight or flight for too long a period of time, you don't absorb zinc as well. Uh, We also see selenium issues. Both of those are involved with blood sugar regulation, um, as well as um, estrogen toxicity can disrupt the prostate and cause hypertrophy of the prostate. And so we're seeing a lot of similar scenarios here. Zinc and selenium are also needed to convert thyroid from its inactive form to its active form. So we start to see a breakdown in these key mechanisms that uh, are uh, crucial for overall uh, health of uh, the circulatory system, the the hormone system. Um, And then when it comes to the last little thing I want to talk about, uh, nitric oxide, nitric oxide is very important for that vasoconstriction or vasodilation blood flow that we're talking about so what's some of the things that
2: you do to help support the nitric oxide yeah nitric oxide um you know diet is a big thing protein intake is a big thing actually the you make nitric oxide with a, an amino acid from protein called arginine and there are certain foods that are high in that for instance some people eat beets and there's beet supplements that literally just their benefit is by improving nitric oxide nitric oxide does a lot more than just, you know, dilate blood vessels, too. It's, it's uh, antimicrobial. helps protect against certain infections and parasites. It's a signaling molecule. And this was actually, I believe, one of the reasons why um, with blood... Transplant or like blood infusions. If the person that you're, if the blood that you're getting doesn't have enough nitric oxide, you're more likely to have a heart attack after a blood transfusion because it constricts all those blood vessels down.
1: Yeah, there's, and there's two types of, of nitric oxide too. There's INOS and ENOS. So if you're doing a little yeah. Digging deeper, just know that there's a yeah. one that's a little that's uh, inflammatory, and one it's not.
2: Yeah, so it does it does a lot in the body, promoting not only so that that's an important part because you don't want to just arbitrarily increase, increase nitric it. oxide. Yeah. It's about the control of when nitric oxide is produced because it has both benefits and negatives that can happen with that.
1: Yeah, like everything else, uh, there's pros and cons, and there's a balance. It all it all has to be balanced. So, uh, generally speaking. Um, uh, if uh, you, you're working with stuff like that, the more natural approaches seem to help uh, when it comes to uh, bringing things into balance. And as you're improving the anti-inflammatory components, uh, that'll also help with the shift of uh, of the, the, the good nitric oxide. And for those of you who really don't know what nitric oxide is, but know of uh, some of the movies, you know, in the cars where they have that button in their car that they hit NO, <laughs> that's nitric oxide. That makes them go really fast. In the movies, in the cars. So it's a real thing for the cars, but uh, there's also a benefit for our body. So <laughs> don't don't be uh, sucking on one of those nitric oxide tanks on the cars <laughs> or anything yeah. like that. No, that would be bad. Yeah. So anything else um, when it comes to this topic? This is, this is a, a topic that we actually hear about a lot, um, and I don't know why, but uh, people tend to whisper it to us um to that they need help with it or that their significant other does i'm going to encourage uh, people to uh, just talk about it. be uh, um open with discussing it maybe not at the family dinner or anything like that but uh, with us in particular or your healthcare practitioner there is so much value beyond just the um erectile dysfunction when it comes to your overall health so i hope this was helpful to you guys any last parting words as far as uh, on this subject? Yeah, I
2: think uh, similarly, I think it's important to hear that if you do have this problem, it's fixable. Mm-hmm. But it takes work because we yeah. just talked about a lot of different pathways and issues that can affect this. Yeah. If you have this problem, just like we started this conversation, mm-hmm. it's if you have erectile dysfunction in particular, but low libido as well, it's a sign of a of a larger issue. And if we can figure out and help you figure out what those different root causes are, not only is libido and sexual function going to improve, but general health is going to improve, too. Right. And that's really what everybody wants.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for passing along the podcast. We're hearing a lot of uh, um, good things out there. So send in your, your requests. Uh, if you're in the clinic um, or drop by the clinic, uh, don't hesitate to let us know a topic as well. Take care and God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to the Synapse Nips podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast. To learn more, check out our website at www.officialSynapse.com. Until next time, this has been Synapse Nips podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only and should under no circumstances be considered medical advice or substitute for medical care. Any information given in this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease and is at the user's own risk. Please first consult a licensed healthcare professional.